This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. All right, so we are just a couple of minutes past 8 o'clock here on this Tuesday evening, and the governor just delivered his first State of the State address as an elected four-year governor. And some interesting stuff in there. And, you know, look, the, the reality is, you know, we could go on forever and ever here analyzing it, breaking it down. You know, if you're going to do that, you may as well just listen to the speech yourself. So I'm going to kind of offer just sort of an overview and a little bit of analysis to what I saw. I was in the room today. I was on the press row right up front. And, uh, you know, some again, some interesting aspects to this. And I think, first of all, you know, last year when the governor delivered the state of the state, you know, it was there were some mishaps. There were some missteps, if you will, right out of the gate. The microphone was off when he started speaking. He, at the time, had far less confidence as somebody who just was in general a public speaker from my perspective in those big moments anyway. Tonight, they introduce the governor. He comes into the the joint session of the Senate and the, the House of Reps and, you know, everybody's there from the cabinet and the judges and all the educational leaders and the media and some of the activist community and, you know, you felt a lot of buzz, a lot of energy as the governor walked in. You know, again, an intangible fact. I don't know how you can really compare and contrast it to other governors or other states of the state state of the state speeches of the past. But you just felt it certainly way, way more than last year. So that right out of the gate, I think, was was really relevant. You know, he was very relaxed and very comfortable when he got right into the speech. You know, he went on this, um, you know, just sort of relaxed opening remark set, turned his attention to, you know, sort of celebrating some of the Afghan refugees who were had come to Rhode Island and were in the room tonight and, you know, just sort of went down that direction. And it just felt good, you know, I think for, from his standpoint, he, he seemed to be feeling good. Um, the energy in the room shifted, I think, dramatically as the speech progressed, though. And I'll explain in just a second. You know, right out of the gate, one, a couple of the major bullet points, they, might, they may be out of order here, you know, in terms of when they, they came up. But the governor called for the ban of, quote, assault-style weapons. That got, you know, a, a standing ovation, obviously, from the Democrats in the room. And, you know, the question is... You know, number one, last year in the wake of Uvalde and the gun legislation that moved through, you know, after the speech, I caught up with Speaker Joe Shikarchi and some of the, the questions were, hey, you know, what makes this year different that all assault style weapons would be banned when they weren't last year? And his response was that, well, the, the attorney general and others felt that the magazine capacity ban was far more important than a general assault style weapon ban. You know, you can take that in any way, shape, or form that you like. You know, there's obviously a gun lobby influence and, you know, even just sort of a soft 2A um, legal concern in terms of tying the state up in court. How much of, you know, the assault style weapon bans are actually constitutionally legal and are going to withstand scrutiny if they make it through the court system. So that came up, but a raucous applause there. But where things got interesting was, you know, McKee proposed what he described as a broad tax relief plan. And that included a reduction of the sales tax, 
a revision of the gas tax, okay, a tax rebate for gross receipts on energy bills, the gross receipt tax on energy bills, the elimination of small business fees like the so-called litter tax, which is essentially you pay a tax for the removal of litter, which that tax doesn't even have a an appropriate an appropriation that guarantees that the money's used to remove litter. So this package of broad tax relief, this is where it gets really interesting. And Brian Newberry, Republican Brian Newberry, tweeted out during the speech that look, a lot of the proposals being pushed forth right now or or, or raised by by Dan McKee are really conservative Democrat ideals, and they are. You know, they're they're the type of of democratic proposals that really fit into that. And I hate to use the term JFK Democrat. It feels so stale and, and, and inaccurate in so many ways. But broadly speaking, you know, that's the that, that's the place from which a lot of these ideas come. And the question is, you know, at six point eight five percent reduced from seven percent, right? In terms of a sales tax, in terms of a three cent reduction in a a gas tax, you know those numbers. The problem may be for for the governor is that you've got a general assembly, and this is what Newberry pointed out, and I actually asked Speaker Shikarchi about this after the speech, uh, after the, uh, the the governor's speech as well on the House floor. You know, I asked him, I said, and, and, and kind of alluded to Newberry's tweet, which is that, look, you know, these are conservative Democrat ideas. You have a, I'm not going to say progressive, but you have a left House of Representatives. And the question is, are the proposals when it comes to tax relief, you know, do they go far enough for both some of the more conservative leaning people and for some of the progressive and even semi-far-left people who might say, well, hey, hey, wait a second. If we're going to have broad tax relief, we want to tax the rich. And this broad tax relief plan is too broad. It doesn't, it, 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 the scope of what this proposal offers is insufficient in terms of what we want. So you see tonight McKee in a post-election era where he did have to, in terms of a lot of his positions, swing left. You see him laying out a cause, and a case I should say really, for a more centrist, even conservative approach to fiscal management. And I don't think anybody's shocked by that. You know, the governor has, he's a fiscal conservative in many, many ways. And look, when you talk about the rainy day fund, which he mentioned, you, and you look at what the state's coffers look like right now. You know, he is not just out there blowing the money out the door. Not that he can single-handedly do this anyway. But it really lays out a vision of what Dan McKee and his tenure as, as governor, now as an elected four-year term and the face of you know, democratic politics in the state in many ways, though maybe not the most powerful politician, that would be Joe Shikarchi, the Speaker of the House, in many ways the face of where things head. And I wonder, you know, if you can make an argument that Joe Shikarchi is to the left of Dan McKee. And I think as we see 
you know, what, what the revenue looks like for the state, you know, as we move along March and May, that's when you'll have a better understanding of like, okay, here's what, here, here's really what we can accomplish. Here's, here's the number, uh, the percentage of tax reduction that we can actually do. But just simply from a proposal standpoint, I think it's a really interesting moment in this speech tonight, all right? The governor, of course, on housing, and by the way, on Bartholomew Town next week, a full week special report on Rhode Island's housing crisis. We're going to have expertise from the unhoused, uh, I guess you would say activist or advocate community. We're going to have expertise from from the journalism community. I've got real estate agents coming on. You know, we're going to figure out what they, what role do they play, uh, some elected officials. So that's next week. But tonight the governor noted that he wants a Department of Housing that he says he would be committed to building a capable Department of Housing. This on the heels of the ostensible departure of the department's first director, Josh Saul. So look, things didn't go well for the most part on a public-facing side for the rollout of the Department of Housing. So the governor wants that person. And look, that person has got to be a liaison. They've got to be well-networked in. It's probably going to be Stephen Pryor, almost certainly, right? You know, it's 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 heading in that direction. Um, I think everybody, that's probably the worst-kept secret on Smith Hill right now. But housing was addressed in a significant way. Also, Providence Schools. Now, the governor noted that He's been in every school building, and when you compare and contrast what the Hopkins report, the John Johns Hopkins report, produced back in 2019, right? And it showed a dismal, horrific picture of a physical infrastructure that was completely unacceptable and arguably among the top five worst or higher school districts from a facility standpoint in the country. The governor made the argument, hey, look, you know, and in this in trying to sell the state takeover of Providence schools, right? Made the argument that due to renovations, you know, um, you think about Hope High School, you, due, due to school bonds, the, 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 the physical infrastructure of those schools is improving. Now, outcomes, whole different story. He didn't mention that. What he did mention is that he called for, quote, targeted modification to the school funding formula. Now, that can be a sort of um, open call to the charters or any type of reimagined education system that is, look, the transportation piece, you know, if you're a kid and you're going to Lincoln and you say, I'd rather go to South Kingstown, but no one, you know, I can't get a ride there. You know, how do you get there in terms of transportation? Those are like the types of questions that practically make open school choice a question of of practicality. But he lays out the case that a revised school funding formula is something that he's going to propose. He did the old J-O-B-S jobs line that he used on the campaign trail. What does that mean? I mean, the governor made the case during his his campaign, really in the, in the primary and in the general that the best way to improve Rhode Islanders um, is is to get higher wages and better jobs. So he laid that out again. He also had this quote, it's time to double down and make a major investment in Rhode Island's life science sector. Now I say that expands on the scope of the, of the blue economy super sector 
concept that was often and I believe correctly pushed by Governor Raimondo, Stephen Pryor, you know, Mark Parlange now at URI. We had the Blue Economy Bond, the governor himself now, Governor McKee. It, many people understand the unique position that Rhode Island is in to double, quadruple, whatever down on the blue economy. It is a super sector that is emerging and, it expl- and it's going to continue to explode and it is something that Rhode Island can tie its identity to. Well, this life science concept, you know, again, in in the moments following the speech, I asked Speaker Shikarchi, I said, well, what does that mean? Does that mean like hospitals? I mean, I mean, is the state going to get into the business of funding hospitals? That's part of the life science sector, is it not? What about academics? You know, probably. I mean, what the hell, the zoo? You know, so that's a very, very broad uh comment perhaps an amazing one for all of us perhaps something that'll that'll raise my eyebrows and we'll find out i guess the governor's gonna roll i heard something about a thursday press conference where he's gonna roll out some of these uh specific ideas when it comes to uh, the life science investments that he wants to make by the way the governor is going to join us here on the podcast coming up in uh this month as we have him scheduled for so we'll have a chance to kind of dig into this and the speaker by the way speaker scarchi will be on later this week he'll be on friday uh, for a, for a one on one, so we'll get into all this stuff a little bit deeper. But so in sum, you know, as I as I'm home now, and uh, you know, just kind of um, just kind of thinking about this speech, I, I think again, confident governor, confident in himself, no longer you know dealing with the campaign, or you know, is he going to get nailed from the left or the right, or is he going to get nailed? from, you know, for, for tripping over his own words, you know, the media, the whole, the, all that stuff. It seemed that he decided that that was, he was past that. And he worked into a, a new type of space, a new type of platform for himself, which was basically saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I believe in. I'm pretty much a moderate leaning conservative on many issues. There are some issues that I have a progressive view on as well. But I am who I am, and this is what it is. Now, one thing that did not get mentioned in the speech at all, and I'm sure that there are many of you that are he- that are hearing my voice right now, or not, uh, that are that are deeply concerned about this, is the EACA, the Equality and Access to Abortion for Everybody, and that's something that McKee promised he would put into a proposed budget and sign into law the question really was always well does does the the general assembly have the votes i asked speaker Jakarchi. i mean it sounds like all i did was ask speaker Jakarchi questions after this i did talk to other people but he's the most relevant in this this context i said do you have the votes he said he doesn't know and that's always been the case the case but the fact that it wasn't mentioned in the state of the state address, I think is a big signal. Not that the governor's dismissing it, not that he's not going to fulfill that campaign promise, but that he's moving beyond that. And he's getting out of, other than the obvious, which is really, quite frankly, the the elephant in the room in that regard, which is the assault-style weapons ban. Uh, something that on Martin Luther King Day, just yesterday, Joe Biden, President Biden, also indicated was a move that the nation should make. Not mentioning the EACA, I think that's a big deal. I think it sends a, a message to certain supporters of the governor that that might say, hey, wait a second here. 
You know, that that didn't get that the lack of a mention there is something that is concerning. And it will be interesting to see how that plays out if it matters to begin with. Because, look, if the if the votes aren't there in the House, if the votes aren't there in the Senate, who cares? It, it's it doesn't get through. And but for certain advocates, you know, I saw the Women Project was tweeting out throughout the course of the night on everything. You know, hey, the governor talk about education that that ties back to women's health, and it does. I'm not disputing that it does, does or doesn't. I'm not I'm not disputing that it doesn't. I agree that it does. It all ties together. And perhaps in the context again of this confident speech that the governor delivered, succinct, you know, just kind of wham bam, thank you, ma'am. Here's my here's here's Dan the man. Here's Governor Dan McKee, in a nutshell. Look good, suit fit right, you know, no wackiness with the tie, you know, to the side, or any of this stuff you see sometimes around here in Rhode Island. And look, I wasn't even wearing a tie tonight. You know, I'm not a fashion expert, but it matters. You know, it matters. Sloppiness, you know, it's a, it's a television uh, production. It's a reality TV show at the end of the day. Uh, these speeches and all this stuff, it's, it's, it's entertainment. Okay, you don't need to do it. You can just do government and not do the speech. This this is entertainment. This is the entertainment industry. Um, that's what it is. It's show business. He looked well made up. He looked like he had a good, you know, someone took care of his hair, his makeup. The suit fit well. The color was right. The tie fit well. The tie was right. He walked right. He didn't limp. He didn't stu- stumble. Uh, he, he was way, way better than last year at doing this thing, this performance. Um, and I think that matters. But what really matters is the governance, the policy, what gets through, what doesn't get through. And what you saw tonight was a Dan McKee that was a little different than what you saw on the campaign trail, especially in the Democratic primary. But in many ways, was also just the Dan McKee that anybody who's been following Rhode Island politics knows is the real Dan McKee. That's who he is, you know? So it was good to be there tonight, as always. Good to see my my friends in the media, who I see less these days. You guys know it. I'm now that I'm doing the radio thing in the afternoon. That's four hours, sometimes five hours of my day that I'm in one place. And I, look, I'm not complaining, but I'm out and about a little bit less. So it's good to see people. I was glad to tonight. Glad to see some of the department directors. Glad had a great chance to uh, talk with a number of, of senators and representatives. And uh, you know, we saw the, the Congressman Cicilline was there. Congressman Magaziner was there and you know look it is what it is it's just sort of like a, here we go Woo-hoo, Rhode Island state of the state you know and you walk out the the, the building and you look by you know for me I look I park I have a little place I always park over there and I look over my shoulder and there it is the state house and it's lit up in red and you go yeah geez this isn't this oh shucks isn't this great and it is you know if we get stuff done if it's all performative, it's utter nonsense. But I don't think it is. I really got the sense tonight the governor is ready to assemble the team. And look, this whole Josh Saul thing, I mean, the, the, look, nice kid, uh, talented musician, um, probably has a ton of knowledge on actual housing from an economic, from a commerce standpoint, which is critical. Uh, was he able to execute on the homelessness issue, on the unhoused camp, uh, the encampment at the state house with the shelter beds, the Thanksgiving deadline going into Christmas? Thought He fell down flat and it was an absolute disaster and the governor went out of his way again he said he wants to have capable leadership in that role and he should he deserves it we deserve it we're not even him we deserve to have 
capable leadership in that Department of Housing role. We have a housing crisis. Uh, you know, I don't care what anybody says, you know, we do. And how you address that, I mean, that's going to be a legacy issue. People are going to just move out of Rhode Island. Where are they going to go? Everywhere is expensive. I don't know. I'm going to live in West Virginia. I don't, I don't even know where it's cheap right now. Go live in northern Maine. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know where you go. But people are going to move out of Rhode Island. And they already are. But they're going to, you're going to see a spike 10 years from now, 20 years from now. You can't afford to live here. What are you going to do? Yeah, build a Superman building out, $3,000 for a studio apartment. That's where people go sip coffee all day and don't do anything. They get trust funds or something like that. I mean, that's not going to solve the housing crisis. That's nonsense. Forget about it. Just call it luxury lofts. Build it out. That's fine. Now, you want to pay $3,000 for a studio to go live in an old office building in downtown Providence, you know, but be my guest. Yeah, do it. Maybe they'll put a gym in that thing, you know, who knows? Whatever other amenities as well, you know, maybe a little waterfall like they had the mall you throw the quarter into. Make a wish. Who knows what they're going to put there? It's not going to solve the housing crisis. It's the issue of our time. And so too are some of the other things that were laid out tonight and were not laid out tonight. All eyes are on that EACA and and what does it mean that it was not mentioned in the speech? Does it mean the governor just say, hey, look, I promised on the campaign trail. I'm not going to go back on it. You're going to see it in the budget. We don't even know. We have no idea what it's going to look like in terms of a, um, you know, a, a, a general assembly vote. No idea. And, and they probably don't. I think that's a fair statement. You're going to have to, I mean, I can give you names. I'm not going to vote right now, but people who, I don't have any idea how they'll vote on this. There'd be horse trading involved. Then you got people, they got, they got religious beliefs. They got this, they got that, you know, they got constituents that, that don't want it. I don't know, but it wasn't in there. The access to abortion for Medicare recipients and state workers. You know, didn't hear much about, um, you know, the the transportation. Didn't hear anything about transportation. I mean, look, you can make an argument you did because he mentioned at the top the Rhode Island 2030 plan. You know that whole thing. But nothing specific, right? When it, you know, no no major infrastructure projects were laid out. Pretty basic. But like I said, for the speech itself, let's let's be honest about it. like it's a it's a performance, you know, it's a performance. It's it's uh, it's unnecessary, you know. The whole thing, you know, the whole thing's unnecessary. I enjoy it. I'm glad it happens. I'm glad to be there. I I would be disappointed if it went away. Do we need it? No, of course not. You know, the whole, all right, we're going to have the, uh, the, jo- the joint assembly, a uh, joint session of the House, the, the uh, House of Representatives and the uh, Senate is now in session. Uh, you know, do we need to do a roll call? Oh, and, uh, if anyone opposes to waving the roll call, say, scream out loud now. Hear ye, hear ye. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, we're going to escort in the judges. Here comes the presidents of the universities. Okay, boom. Here come the general officers, one at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, you know who got a raucous ovation was Greg Amore, Secretary of State. Of course he did. He's, he came, he's a fixture of the House. Raucous ovation. James Diosa, you know, they got a little little cheer. Peter Nerona, he got a hoot and holler. Sabina Matos, the lieutenant governor, she got a hoot and holler. But Amore got the um, got the big the big prize in terms of, 
you know, it's it's not, it's not much different than, you know, you guys watch wrestling, the Royal Rumble. You know, they come in, you know, they have 10, 9, 8, so here comes the next contest, contestant, and they run down to the ring, and everyone's cheering, and, and you know, this it's similar. I mean, let's be clear, you know, you don't need this stuff to run a government, you know, you could just keep it all, you don't even have to, you could just do it. But I, I love the pageantry of things like this, you know, I do, and I was happy to be there. I was happy to be there. I always am. And I appreciate you guys for following me on Twitter and listening to this podcast. And hey, you know what? Let's see if uh, these ideas that were laid out materialize. And let's see. Let's see who the real damn key is, because I think we saw it tonight. All right, everybody. We're back on Thursday. Rhode Island Director of Veterans Affairs, Kasim Yarn, Speaker of the House on Friday. Housing crisis special report next week. Governor coming up later this month. A lot ahead. Busy, busy times here on Rhode Island's podcast of record, Bartholomew Town. Good night, everybody. The legalization of recreational cannabis that went into effect last month can open doors for your career. If you are already in the industry or wondering what is the best path to break into the cannabis field, the University of Rhode Island has a program to help you become highly competitive in numerous areas of the cannabis industry. Fully accredited by URI's College of Pharmacy, the certificate program is 100% online, and it can be completed in two semesters. The next application deadline for the summer 2023 session is April 4th, and courses start on May 9th. Learn more at uri.edu slash online slash cannabis, or give them a call at 401-874-5280. Tell them Bill sent you.